Hey everybody, I'm Evan Brand back with Not Just Paleo, another episode for you. I first just want to say thank you and that you all are awesome. You're the best fan base I could ever ask for. I sent out an email the other day asking for your advice on my upcoming wellness program. And I asked you, do you want a diet slash weight loss specific targeted program or do you want an all-encompassing program? And the response was huge. It would take 20 minutes to, to, to tell all the different responses and names, so I won't do that. But I'll just say thank you all so much. I read every single email and responded to every single email. Thank you all so much for your input. Uh, I'm expecting sometime next month in December to launch this program. It's going to be video, audio, and an overall program encompassing nature, stress, lifestyle, sleep, EMF, everything. It's going to be huge. I hope you're as excited as I am for it. If you go to my website, notjustpaleo.com, and sign up for the newsletter, if you haven't already, now's the time. You'll go ahead and get the two free guides I've always given away, but you're also going to be able to stay updated with this new project. So it's uh, it's very exciting. And after talking with Dr. Terry Walls today, I am even more excited because even she agrees and has personal experience with the fact that diet is not enough and that we have to tie all this stuff together to become a truly healthy and happy person. So uh, check out the website in the meantime and uh, stay tuned. But yeah, let's get into this episode. It's a good one. Hey there, I'm back with Dr. Terry Walls, the author of The Walls Protocol, subtitled How I Beat Progressive MS Using Paleo Principles and Functional Medicine. Hey, Terry, thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you. Very glad to be here. So I guess we should just jump right into your story. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you, you put that in the very beginning of your book. How in the world did you come across or come up with the idea that you had something wrong with you? Um, well, it, it took probably a couple decades to evolve. Um, you know, I was diagnosed in 2000 because I started having some weakness in my left leg uh, and started falling. Uh, so I got an MRI. Uh, there were lesions in my spinal cord, uh, abnormal spinal fluid. My physicians looked at my chart and saw that 13 years earlier, I'd had an episode of dim vision in my left eye. Um, you know, and really now in retrospect, I realized that my first MS symptoms probably occurred 20 years earlier when I was in medical school. I'd had some problems with balance and I'd had uh, problems with uh, episodic uh, face pain. Uh, That's really quite typical for people with MS and really for most autoimmune conditions. We have symptoms that aren't aren't well explained for uh, 10 to 20 years before finally there's enough uh, damage to our organs that a diagnosis can get made. Yeah, so how do, does it actually happen? I mean, is this just specifically caused by autoimmunity, or can you just have a lifetime of nutrient deficiencies and end up with something like multiple sclerosis? Well, I'll give you the conventional, what I was taught in medical school and what we're teaching our medical students now, and what I consider the functional medicine approach. <clears throat> so the conventional thinking is, uh, there's something uh, gone wrong with my immune cells' ability to recognize self. And so for some reason, I'm interpreting various organ cells as foreign and begin attacking them. In the case of multiple sclerosis, it's the myelin in the brain 
or the uh, insulation on the wiring between brain cells. In rheumatoid arthritis, it's the lining of our joints. In psoriasis, it's our skin. Now, the uh, functional medicine, and they'll say, well, we don't really know why. We can identify about 50 to 100 different genes that seem to increase the risk just a little bit, but many people have these genes, never get the disease. There's something about the environment that uh, is important, but we aren't sure what it is. Now, the functional medicine perspective is um, there are many, many, many ways to create this overactive uh, immune system uh, reactivity. Uh, we tend to believe that a leaky gut is the first step, uh, and then you get excessive inflammation uh, because of the leaking of the bowel contents into the bloodstream. Uh, you're more likely to get food sensitivities, which increase inflammation. If you have excessive toxin load, that increases in, uh, inflammation. If you have a chronic infection that you never cleared, that will increase inflammation. Uh, auto, you know, inflammation. If you have chronic stress elevation, um, that will increase inflammation. If you don't sleep enough at night, that will increase inflammation. If you have a diet that doesn't give you the proper building blocks, that will increase uh, deterioration of your cells. So that's a, a different problem. Uh, but that will also lead to worsening autoimmunity. So a functional medicine perspective says there are many ways to disrupt your normal immune cell function and create this autoimmunity. And so from a functional medicine perspective, we want to figure out all of those systems for you, which ones have gone haywire for you and help you uh, correct them. Well, it sounds like if you're the typical American, all of them are wrong in most cases. In most cases, that's right. And that's frankly why we have this epidemic of autoimmunity, why we're now seeing children yeah, uh, two, three, four-year-olds having problems with inflammatory bowel disease, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, multiple sclerosis uh, is being diagnosed much more commonly in children, uh, why there's so much asthma, so much uh, uh, diabetes, so many skin disorders. Um, it, it's because we have so disrupted our normal um, uh, physiologic or chemical processes that our inflammation is uh, out of control. Yeah, well, Terry, I want to get into some of your book and some of the things entailed in it because it's great. But before that, I mean, I have to ask the question to you as somebody who's looking from a zoomed-out perspective of the overall health care and the, just the overall health of society in general. I mean, have we made any real progress with – all of these paleo movements, the functional medicine, are we close enough to actually make a real change? Well, you know, I'm incredibly optimistic. Because, and thank you, Al Gore, for the internet. Because it's so easy for us individually to publish our stories uh, through our social media, through blogs, through self-publishing. Uh, we're getting everyone um, who is discovering food and lifestyle as a means to returning to health, is beginning to talk about it. And it's easy for people who are not well to begin to search the Internet for uh, information. Uh, and, and so the Internet has democratized uh, information. It's possible for someone who, who's willing to invest the time 
and to do the brute strength reading, 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 and thinking about all the stuff you're reading, to now learn as much, if not more, than your treating physician about whatever it is that ails you and what the current science says. Um, and so I'm very optimistic that um, the public will continue to have the interest in diet and lifestyle grow, and so many more people will be interested in uh, pursuing uh, the paleo diet. Uh, but of course, uh, you and I have to admit there are going to be people who are going to be pursuing the raw vegan diet, the vegetarian diet, because there's stories of healing in all of these dietary traditions. And of course, stories of people getting terribly ill because they didn't implement that diet tradition in a thoughtful way. And uh, so you can still screw it up if you're not careful. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess the good thing is, though, I mean, we're still working on converting over the vegetarians and the people who are eventually going to have issues. But the good thing that I've seen is that there's at least some overlap with some of the principles. Everybody's demanding yeah. organic produce. Everybody's demanding uh, so, gluten-free foods, for example. Um, I, I, I tried to reach out to uh, both the vegetarian and the vegans to let them know that, yes, it, it is possible to do it in a healthful way. But if you're not extremely careful, you will make yourself ill because of B12 deficiencies and phytates and lectins and try and give them some parameters to improve their health. Uh, and I spend a lot of time talking about where we all agree. Just as you say, organic food, fresh, local, and season, uh, getting rid of the white sugar, the white flour, getting rid of gluten. Uh, I, I advocate getting rid of dairy. Certainly not everyone uh, does that. Um, but there is, where we all agree is nutrient density is how you heal. You need high quality protein, um, and we're going to have, uh, we paleo eaters, we're going to prefer meat and animal products, and the vegetarians are going to have to do this in a very careful way, be, being careful about their uh, lectins and phytates, uh, or they're going to have autoimmune problems. Right. Yeah, so back to your story a little bit. If people aren't familiar, you have basically gone, not basically, you've literally gone from a wheelchair to now you just told me you're riding your bike to and from work every day. Yeah, 10 miles a day. And that's with, um, and that's with food and lifestyle and stress reduction and reducing your toxic load and all the principles outlined in your book. And you're living proof that it's possible that you can heal yourself using ingredients from the planet. I mean, that's amazing. Correct. You know, and so I'm taking no disease-modifying drugs. And like human nature, when I began to recover and do really well, uh, my son and I uh, would like to go to Village Inn and have pecan pie. Uh, and I did that a couple times. Of course, it was disastrous. So if I deviate from my diet and lifestyle, um, I will get a flare of my pain, uh, severe fatigue, and it will take several weeks to recover. Um, and this is what I see in my clinical practice and in our clinical trials, that as long as people follow the program, uh, we see fatigue reducing, energy improving, gait improving. Um, but if they back away from the program, uh, their fatigue comes roaring back, uh, pain often increases. So, so, so let me ask you this then. If you do introduce something back in, dairy or... Uh, maybe some sort of gluten exposure, maybe you ate a bun or something like that that, you know, say wasn't a gluten-free bun or something, how quickly 
do the side effects happen well, and, and how extreme you know, are they? Uh, it will depend on the individual. For me, uh, it's about 48 hours. It's really pretty consistent, 48 hours. I'll have uh, the trigeminal neuralgia-like pain in my face. Uh, it's very electrical. It's very painful. Uh, it's so painful that I, um, you know, I'll have an involuntary grimace. I usually can't talk very well. I often can't walk very well. Uh, and I'll need high-dose steroids to stop it. Um, and it will take a couple weeks to fully get everything quiet again. Uh, and if I have too many gluten-free products, I will have the same thing happen. So, you know, I, I could have a gluten-free product once or twice a week and be okay. But if I do more than that, um, my face pain will turn back on. So does it scare you when you see some of the most popular websites out in our community that are promoting nothing but gluten-free brownies and cupcakes? You know, I, I feel so sad. Uh, you know, you and I, we are all addicted to sweet things. We're addicted to white flour. We, we like the, how it changes the dopamine in our brain. And so I see many, many people whom I uh, really like and respect make a lot of uh, gluten-free uh, desserts and treats and many paleo eaters think that they can swap out, you know, six to ten servings of, glut of gluten-containing grain for many servings of gluten-free grain. Uh, and that's not going to go well for them. Depending on their health status, they might sort of do okay with three or four servings a day. But they won't have the uh, full health they could have had if they would have just cut it out or limited it to one serving once or twice a week. Right. Yeah, I wrote an article a few months back. It was called Why We Should Be Talking About Water Instead of Gluten-Free Cookies. And it was like one of the most popular articles because, you know, California's going through the drought. and you Oh, know, yeah. Just the future of water is, is, is very uncertain and crazy. And nobody's talking about issues like this that are going to affect the whole country in the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years. You know, it, it, what, what is sad uh, to me in the paleo community, we're being seduced the same way uh, the rest of society was seduced by sugar and white flour. And uh, it's creeping back into our diets. We're getting uh, these uh, desserts and comfort foods that, yes, they are less harmful than the gluten-containing ones, but they're still destroying our health. Right. Yeah. You're talking about some of the kind of the, the pseudo health foods that are marketed towards people in the community, but yet they still may have a huge high glycemic load. Correct. Or lots of fructose, you know, uh, people pushing agave nectar, lots of honey, maple syrup, uh, coconut sugar, um, not realizing that if I want to study in the research lab, metabolic syndrome or diabetes, we feed rats fructose. So by eating all this fructose sweetener, we're damaging ourselves even more than if we were feeding uh, sucrose. It's, it's even worse than high fructose corn syrup because it's a higher concentration of fructose. Um, but we're so addicted to the sugar, we're rationalizing that it's going to be okay to have these other natural forms of sweetener. So if you were to have a little bit of honey, would that disrupt you too? So uh, what I tell folks is you could have one teaspoon a day. I don't have any. You know, uh, when you take it out, uh, your taste sensibility changes. 
and so you know my my uh, dessert that uh, we're really enjoying is I I make a fermented chia seed pudding, uh, which is chia seed and coconut milk and a probiotic capsule set sit on the counter for a couple days, and then I have fresh berries or frozen berries, uh, maybe a, a quarter cup uh, or a half cup at most on top of that, and so it's a sort of tangy like yogurt, a little hint of sweetness from uh, the berries. That's as much sweetness as I need because my taste buds are working normally. They haven't been, uh, you know, uh, they have finally reset after, you know, withdrawing from the uh, sugar and the white flour stuff. And I, I tell my patients, I tell our clinical trial folks that, yes, you go through withdrawal. Yes, it's miserable in the beginning. But your taste sensibility will reset. And food will taste in new, wonderful, delicious ways. And you'll find that berries are incredibly sweet and that the little winter squash is incredibly sweet and that even broccoli begins to taste sort of sweet. And you have these flavors that you've never appreciated because we had numbed our tongues with uh, all this sweet stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. I, I do a little, a similar treat. I don't do any fermentation to it, but I'll just take a, a small little handful of frozen blueberries and just put it in a bowl and just take some coconut milk or some Organic, oh, yeah. organic almond milk, whatever's in the fridge, and just kind of pour it on there, and it makes like a nice, I don't know, almost like a blueberry slushy. Yes, yes. No, that's exactly right. And it's uh, sweet, and there's no sweeteners, it, but it's sweet. It, but it's sweet because our, 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 our taste sensibility is back to normal, finally. It's interesting how numb you could become. I mean, it's almost like you're, it's almost like if you were to live in a city and you're in traffic every day, all day, and all you hear is horns and sirens and crazy people and engines and motors, and then you go out to a trail, and you're out there biking or hiking on a trail, and you realize that nature has been playing the most beautiful sound all along. You've just been tone deaf, and you haven't heard it. You could also think about uh, addictions. When you start taking... Uh cocaine or narcotics, a little bit will, will be all you need. But you have to keep escalating the dose to get that high. Sugar and white flour is the same. We have to keep escalating the dose to get the desired effects. And then on top of that, uh, food manufacturers have been rewarded by manipulating our food with food-like chemicals to, uh, again, induce us to overconsume. It's a very, so, very crazy i mean i wish sometimes it's too late for that now but i wish sometimes we had a time machine to take the knowledge that the collective knowledge we have now just to go back i mean have you ever watched those commercials on uh on youtube like if you look up like 1950s serial commercials i mean you got to look them up sometime just type in i don't know what it is maybe frosted flakes or something some yeah. of these old commercials and look at the way that they were trying to convince basically people that were farmers to come off of eggs and bacon and switch to frosted flakes i mean it's amazing how how horrible the marketing was back then well yeah yeah well and the other context to think about is the food industry was born during world war one world war two when uh both sides had to feed you know the million plus uh soldiers and the food industry didn't want to go away so they had to convince 
uh, all the cooks, all the moms, to start using processed foods instead of foods out of their garden. So the wars are really what kind of started. The, That's what started all of this, yeah. The, the garbage food industry, because I've actually read about some of the butter dumps that happened. Are you familiar with those during World War II? Oh, I didn't know. Well, uh, I thought the uh, the butter was used for uh, munitions. I don't. I don't know the full story. I wish I, I had it written down somewhere. But I'm reading through some books. It might have been. I don't know if it was a Sally Fallon book or what it was. But I was reading about just these thousands and thousands of pounds of butter that were dumped for some reason. But I don't know if they were discarded, used for trash or what. And then they were replaced with margarine, and all of the soldiers were given margarine instead, which apparently at the time. Uh, before margarine became the garbage that it is today, it used to be about 90% derived from coconut oil, and then it got switched over at some point in the 40s to all the hydrogenated oils. I mean, it's just incredible how how quickly one little one little decision like that could change everything. Well, they, they probably switched to the coconut oil because of the antibacterial effect. It had a much longer shelf life. Well, had, they, supposedly it started with coconut oil, and then they took that out and then put in the hydrogenated oils. Well, th that that became a uh, cost-saving issue, but originally they used the coconut oil uh, because of its antibacterial effect. That's amazing. And my stepdad, he used to be a manager at McDonald's, probably, I guess it would be the early 1980s, right after he got out of high school, or maybe yeah. even in high school. And they used to use real lard. I'm pretty sure to. Yeah, originally they used uh, lard. And then, of course, they converted to vegetable oil and trans fats. Do you think we'll see them go back? Uh, I, I expect that that could well happen. You know, if we ever actually start measuring the trans fats in the fryers, uh, because the trans fat uh, rapidly climbs the more days you're frying, then they'll have to quit it. Really? So they can say that something has no trans fat just sitting there on the shelf, but when you throw it in, you increase the... As soon as, soon as you heat vegetable oil, you start making trans fats. And the longer you heat it, the more you reheat it, the higher the percent of trans fats. Uh, it's, uh, uh, and I talk about that in the book, that uh, you, you definitely don't want anything uh, fried in vegetable oil, particularly in a restaurant where it's been heated multiple times. That's, it's your fastest way to be sure that you're developing uh, clogging of your arteries, early strokes and early heart attacks. And, and probably an early cancer as well, for that matter. Yeah. So um, do you go out to any restaurants? And if you do, do you have strategies that you use besides just picking a good place to start with? Well, um, if I go out to eat, uh, things I ask for are um, uh, I'm going to have either a big salad or cooked greens. Uh, and I'll have uh, a... Uh, uh, grilled meat of some type and you can usually order that at at most restaurants if they have greens anywhere on the menu I, I don't bother uh, ordering from the menu uh, I ask uh, can you deal with uh, gluten dairy egg sensitivity uh, because if I have those foods I'll be in the hospital so that's my first question and either they say no and then I, I leave or they're like oh yeah we, we can deal with that and then I ask for cooked greens uh, and meat yeah, I order everything a la carte now. I it, it's it's actually kind of fun, and you save money that way too because you don't have to order some extravagant plate that's right, and, and you get what you want. 
Yeah, they don't know how to. They never know how to ring it up. So usually, the, I'll get a plate of, I don't know, say like a huge side of broccoli or something. Of course, it's not going to be organic. I guess you just do. You just have to get over that. Like if you go to a place that doesn't carry organic well, veggies. Um, so the answer is, if you're going to eat out in public, and you're not cooking it, you have to assume it's not going to be organic. So my enthusiasm for eating out diminishes, but I, I still will eat out. I'll still go to my friends' houses, and I know. Uh, they may or may not be able to afford organic food. Uh, and so I, I sort of prioritize, what do I have to have to stay safe? Gluten-free, dairy-free, egg-free. If I have something that's not organic uh, on occasion, I'm going to be fine. Um, if somebody uh, made uh, beans and rice for me, I can have a small amount. I wouldn't normally eat that, but I'm not going to be have catastrophic pain. Um, uh, if somebody uh, sit, uh, has... Uh, dairy uh, on something, can't eat it because I will have pain. If somebody made something and put eggs in it, um, no, nope, I can't eat it because uh, I don't want to risk having pain. Well, that's a good way to look at it because I feel like you can also paralyze yourself and, and, and cause excess stress. It's going to make you flare up worse just by freaking out because something's not 100% organic or whatever. Or or you develop an eating disorder. I, I, and I see you know many people who... Too many folks who follow the autoimmune protocol down the elimination diet become so controlling, so obsessive with their food that they begin to eat less and less and less and less variation. Uh, they develop some nutritional deficiencies, more likely uh, to get into uh, an anorexic uh, problem and have uh, develop an eating disorder. It doesn't happen to everyone. And, and, and it is true, some people with... Uh, severe food sensitivities to many types of foods do have to be that rigid. But on the other hand, uh, it, it's very easy to slide down this slippery slope of being so obsessive that uh, your eating has become pathologic. Right. Yeah, I mean, which, you know, to tie that into your book, it sounds like of course, everything is, is a piece of the puzzle, right? So reducing yes. your toxic load, increasing detoxification at the same time, using things that are going to boost your glutathione, the N-acetylcysteine you've talked about and things like that. But it sounds like one of the most profound things that you've done was just your nine cups of fruits and vegetables each day. Would you say that was one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle? You know, uh, and it's a particular nine cups of vegetables. Uh, the way I have it organized with the greens, the sulfur-rich, and the color, I've manipulated the enzymes in your body to improve your detoxification in a huge way, to improve how your brain makes neurotransmitters in a huge way, and I've shifted your epigenetics in terms of how your cells are running their chemistry away from an inflammatory-promoting way to a reparative way. And so it's very intentional in the food groups that I chose. And then instead of having high protein, which increases mTOR activity and increases the risk for uh, cancers, I suggest sufficient protein. And then as you get more and more comfortable, we'll ramp up the fat. And if you're willing, uh, we can put you in, into ketosis. Um, but uh, ketosis has a lot of challenges with it uh, and some unknowns about how long we really should stay in ketosis. Uh, but vegetables, vegetables rock. 
Yeah. So for for people listening in, if they haven't read your book yet, I'm going to reveal the you know kind of the the secret behind these these numbers here. So what that would look like would be, which I kind of picked my favorite out out of your you know your recommendation. So I would probably end up doing three cups of raw or cooked kale and lettuce, three cups berries, tomatoes, beets, carrot squash, and then your three cups of broccoli, onion, garlic. I could probably eat a pound of broccoli. I don't know what that would come out to as far as cups when you actually break it down into a cup well, form. Um, probably uh, four to five cups. So I'm doing good there guy. then. So it's possible. See, it's it's yeah. it sounds like a lot and it's intimidating, but I mean, people have to realize that these are far more powerful, uh, magical. They're really magical foods that that are far more powerful than anything, and even in your personal experience, than a pharmaceutical oh, yeah. drug is ever going to be able to do to to help um, rehabilitate your health. You know, and as soon as you take out the sugar, white flour, carbs. Uh, even the paleo desserts, uh, and you're eating sufficient meat, you'll be hungry. You'll have plenty of room for all those vegetables. Right. Yes. Yeah, so you're still eating those paleo sweets and those paleo muffins and paleo pieces of pie and candy. Of course, you can't eat nine cups of vegetables. Right. And it's pretty. It's pretty satiating too to have just a huge plate full of of broccoli and butter do you ever do meals without meat completely you just feel like your body's telling you you don't need a meal with meat right now um yeah you know so in the morning uh, i will typically do a uh, smoothie usually a green smoothie and right now this summer i, I go out uh, and i grab weeds and herbs so um chickweed uh dandelion uh sorrel um and then a variety of herbs I, I uh, put that in with some oils and uh, coconut fat uh, to make a smoothie. I may have uh, leftover uh, meat from the night before or liver pate. Some, day, some days I don't. Then I come home, I have another green smoothie when I first get home. Uh, and then uh, we'll have tonight, we'll have pork chops uh, and uh, Brussels sprouts with uh, a lot of mushrooms uh, and onions. And then I'll have my uh, chia seed pudding and blueberries for dessert. That sounds good. What kind of mushrooms are you doing? Um, well, I, I like shiitake. Um, uh, tonight, I think we're having criminy mushrooms. Um, it, you know, and the reality is, uh, even the white button mushrooms have lots of health-promoting uh, nutrients in them. Uh, and across hundreds, uh, probably thousands of generations, uh, across many cultures, uh, the cabbage family, onion family, mushroom family were medicinal foods. Now, for some people... Because we had candida overgrowth, we have uh, developed uh, cross-sensitivity to mushrooms, and mushrooms might not agree with you. But if they agree with you, they are tremendous health foods. Yeah, I, I just feel kind of conflicted on mushrooms because, you know, I hear that the first thing, the first plant, rather, or whatever you would call it, fungi, the first living thing that's going to absorb radiation is mushrooms and you know i've talked with nora about that a little bit how that's kind of if you were to have a geiger counter and go to the store and you measure mushrooms that's going to be the first thing that's going to throw your your little alarm off that that there's radiation exposure do you worry about sourcing of them and things like that um well i, you know, I try to get my mushrooms locally in iowa because uh, i like support the local economy I, I put a lot more thought into where i get my seaweed 
because I think seaweed and sea salt's uh, really important. So I get uh, Himalayan pink sea salt, and I get seaweed from companies that uh, do monitoring of the radiation and heavy metal levels of their seaweed, such as Maine Coast Sea Vegetables. And there's another company, uh, I think, uh, Oceans Approved, that is also doing uh, monitoring of their seaweed. Do you do those little dried seaweed snacks? I've seen those at the store. I just don't know if they have any value. Well, uh, on occasion, people have gotten them for me because they uh, they know I like seaweed. And so, yes, uh, when that's given to me, I eat them and enjoy them. Uh, but I mostly get um, seaweed from companies that I know are testing their seaweed. Right. Yeah, a, a quote that I wrote down that I wanted to shout out again was that you put, stop believing everything you read and what everyone tells you. Learn to make Learn and make your own decisions. Yeah. I mean, I almost have, I'm going to read that again just, just to make sure people really get it. Stop believing everything you read and what everyone tells you. Learn and make your own decisions. For me, I've been told things my whole life, whether it was from peers, friends, family, doctors, whoever. If it had to do with my health, if it had to do with chasing my dreams, achieving things in my career writing a book, starting a podcast. I mean, I can't tell you at my age, I'm, I'm 23 and I've heard so many things already. I couldn't imagine somebody older than me, how many things that have been put into their head and how much deprogramming the average person really has to do. Well, you know, uh, even in medicine, you, you think we should know what we're talking about. Um, I, I can remember being taught that ulcers uh, were from too much stomach acid and too much stress. And then there's this crazy guy, Marshall, who was saying they were bacteria. And uh, people thought his research was trash. He was an idiot. Uh, and then 25 later, years later, he gets the Nobel Prize in medicine. And we're treating ulcers with antibiotics. So um, uh, we, we have to read. We have to learn. We have to make our own conclusions. That, you know, I encourage people to not necessarily believe everything I say. Yeah, read test, see how you react, and then make your own decision. Uh, am I right? Is this good for you? Or is your anatomy and physiology different so that, in fact, my program isn't quite the right program for you? We all have to pay attention to our experience. Right. Yeah, I, I think your book and, and your experience is, I think you're off to a head start far ahead of, of many, 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 many uh, millions of other people. But I bet in 10 years, when you write another book, it will be, you'll, you'll have so much new information to put in there. Well, we're, we're uh, talking about another book proposal. We'll see. Um, I, we might have another one coming out. We'll see how quickly I get around to that. What do, you, what do you feel like is missing? Or what do you feel like you need or you're passionate about hitting on next? Well, you know, I, I have many, many people asking me for a cookbook, so I'm, I'm sort of kicking around, do I, do I want to do that? Um, and uh, one of the things that I, I've seen so clearly in my clinics and our clinical trial is uh, people lose weight uh, so effortlessly uh, on our program. The most common um, response that people come in uh, who are overweight, losing weight, and they say, you know, Doc, the weight is melting away. This is the best I've felt in decades. Uh, I'm not hungry, and, you know, I can't really stuff another forkful of food into my mouth. Uh, 
and, and obesity is going to be a crushing problem for this country. Uh, I, I just want to get the message out there uh, to parents that we have to change uh, how we're feeding our kids. Uh, because if we don't, we will melt down and destroy our society. We can't have a third of our children, or half if they're African American, Asian, or Hispanic, be obese and diabetic as children and young adults. There won't be enough people to do the work to have the economy run. Yeah, and so I, I'm deeply concerned about um, the obesity epidemic among our young people killing our economy and killing our future. It, it really so, is sad. It gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. So um, I, I uh, worry a lot about that. And so uh, I, I'm toying with that as a next uh, book idea. Uh, you know, the book I wrote now is my gift to the world because I got my life back. Uh, the next book might be my gift to my kids to try and have their economy not crumble. Right. I, I really do think it's that serious. And I mean, even though I have you and other people that I talk with each week, sometimes we, we get into the real big picture. Sometimes we focus on the little micro things. But overall, anybody who has common sense and knowledge looking down the road of where we're headed it's not it's not really a pretty sight if we continue on the road that we're on right now no um no it's not i i think um we have too many people who uh don't want to take uh, personal responsibility for their health uh, are interested in uh diet surgery procedures and continuing their addictive destructive behaviors but Fortunately, we also have a growing number of people who are recognizing that that old paradigm of uh, drugs, procedures, uh, surgeries is not creating health. Uh, so part of me is pessimistic uh, by uh, what I see, and yet there's another part of me that is far more optimistic that more and more people uh, are going to choose diet and lifestyle to reclaim their health. You know, and I think at some point uh, in my kids' generation, uh, they'll, I don't know how they will solve this, uh, but they will not continue the current paradigm of how we pay for health care, manage health care, and think about health care. Yeah. How old are your kids now? Uh, Zach is 22 and my daughter is, uh, well, Zach is 23 and my daughter is 20. Yeah, so I mean, I'm 23. So in my lifetime, then you're you're expecting I'm going to see some, some huge changes. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, and I don't know what um, what society will decide at that time, but it's going to be radically different than it is now. Yeah, it, it it's almost too much to think about. But I guess I guess the way that we can digest it and what we're doing right now, just you and I talking here, which may seem like a, a very benign thing i mean this is part of the change right here oh yeah you know and again while i, while I have deep concerns there's another part of that is incredibly optimistic because we have the paleo movement because we have the internet because we have more people realizing that nutrient density however you achieve that whichever of the diet plans you use and stress reduction exercise detoxification is how we're going to create health and more and more of the people 
we'll figure that out. The government won't be able to do it because of the bureaucracy. Um, I, I don't know that health insurance companies can do it. I, I doubt that they can either. It will clearly have to be a grassroots movement from people like you and me publishing our, our stuff and the public finding us. Right. Yeah. Now that that's all. That's the hard part there. Now we just need a spot on the on the Super Bowl. You need your own Super Bowl commercial now. <laughs> well, that that is the beauty of the internet. You know, when you think of uh, in in uh, 2011, I did my TED talk. Uh, now has I think 1.9 million views. Uh, TED put a big warning on it: viewer discretion advised, but still continues to grow. Though that type of published information is making a difference, and I'm sure it's driven a lot of uh, physician-patient conversations where people come in and say, well, what about that doctor? What about food? And the doctors, blah, 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 blah. and some would be uh, supportive, some would not. But the patients themselves began to think, you know, maybe it really would make a difference. Yep. So I'll, I'll tell you a story about me a couple months ago. Above my belly button, I had some, some pretty good pain. Nothing too extreme, but it was infrequent. Like I couldn't figure out what caused it. If it was in between meals, if it was before or after, I, there was no correlation to anything seemingly. I had, I, I thought, I don't know, maybe I had some bacterial overgrowth. Maybe I had some H. pylori and maybe I had a small ulcer or something, you know, it was just, there was too many possibilities. And so I thought, okay, I know how this is going to end up. Let me just do it. I have free health insurance. Let me just go down the street to this lady. I've seen her picture on the little flyer in the mail about this doctor. Let's just go in and check, right? Let's just go in, go in. She feels around, does the typical, you know, take a, take a breath, do all this. Well, you know, I think you, probably have too much stomach acid and you probably have some muscle spasms and you probably have something else so I have three prescriptions here for you one's an acid blocker one's a anti-spasmatic and one is an anti-inflammatory or something and at that point all credibility went out the window I said okay so you're telling me I have too high stomach acid yeah, that that you know that that's what it seems like. Okay, well, how come if I take stomach acid, my digestion's better, I feel better, I sleep better, like everything's better. Oh, I don't know. I've never heard of that before. And I'm just like, okay, you know, I think I'm just going to leave. I'm not filling any of these prescriptions. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. Pa paid the copay and left. And it's just like after, how many people each day are walking in with a random little symptom like that and they're getting that answer and then they think it's just benign or they did what you did just how you said you followed your doctor's advice when you were really? diagnosed what if i would have took that and i and, and i wouldn't have had the knowledge to know maybe i just needed some more enzymes and some more stomach acid and i took it and now i feel great you know how many people each day are just doing these one little step and it they get so derailed Far too many. Far too many. It's amazing. I mean, part of me wanted to just try. I would, I would have never done it. But I wish I had some sort of, like, I could clone myself and then 
take the clone and put the clone on the antispasmatic, the acid blocker, the whatever else, and just watch what happens to that clone versus what happens if I keep eating good food that I was already doing, but yet I just took a couple more walks in nature and added some more stomach acid. And it would have been amazing to watch those two same... Those tracks go. Right, those two tracks, you know? And likely, with the prescription medications disrupting your physiology, you would have had a decline in health. What would have happened there? Because, I mean, after reading that book by uh, Dr. Wright, Why Stomach Acid is Good for You, it seems like that is one of the pillars... That if the pillar, that if that if low stomach acid is your issue, I mean that's one of the biggest things that's that's a catalyst for disease. Yes, we need we need stomach acid. We absolutely need stomach acid. We need it to absorb our minerals. Uh, we need it to absorb our B twelve. We need it to begin the digestive process. Uh, so yes, we need we need stomach acid. Um, It, it would have been the beginning of a decline in health. Right. It's really scary. I mean, because if, if if someone experienced some of my issue, they're, they're there right now. Five minutes down the road, I guarantee there's somebody at some little clinic right now that's going to go fill that prescription tonight and, right. and, and, and start the decline. Are being started on, on meds. You, know, you think of uh, all the women on birth control pills that are uh, becoming uh, B vitamin and mineral depleted which is setting them up for a decline in health status. Uh, the people on atorvastatin that are becoming Q depleted and setting them up for uh, uh, cardiac problems, uh, neurological problems. Uh, the people who are on diuretics becoming mineral depleted. And that physicians don't recognize the medications we prescribe on a daily basis for chronic disease is creating nutritional depletions in their patients which then lead to acceleration of their chronic diseases that we unknowingly contribute to by causing the depletion of minerals, B vitamins, coenzyme Q, basic slider nutrient needs. When you start to draw the, the web of health that you're kind of alluding to, it's, it's, it's really amazing. I'm going through uh, the nutritional therapy program that Nora's been through. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's awesome. I felt like I had a pretty good base of knowledge to, to, to begin with it, but part of the paper that they send you, part of the resources is that exact thing you're talking about, what is actually depleted from pharmaceuticals. And, I mean, the list could be its own Bible. It is very uh, profound uh, when we take these chronic medications the potential for uh, nutrient depletion. On top of the fact that our food is less nutrient dense, we have fewer minerals, vitamins, antioxidants, in the food you and I are eating than the food our grandparents were eating. On top of the fact that we eat you know, 150 pounds of sugar, 109 pounds of white flour every day, and only one and a half servings of vegetables. So we, we start off uh, so nutritionally depleted uh, it is no wonder that our health is rapidly declining. You know, when people talk about, well, you know, my, my grandfather smoked and drank and lived to 99. Well, he grew up eating vegetables and liver and onions, and he exercised, uh, and he had a very different life. 
than what our children are having now. So your chance of being a 99-year-old office worker living under artificial light, dirty air in a dirty city with garbage food, your chances of, of smoking and drinking and making it to 99 are extremely less than, than 100 years ago. Than your great-grandfather, that's, yes. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? People still hold on to that little genetic, uh, that little piece of genetic gold that they think they still have. Right. We, we, th we think it's our genes that account for our health. What they don't realize, for the vast majority of us, our genes are less than 5% of our health. Our diet and lifestyle choices are 95% of our health. And it's those choices that determine uh, my health. My genes are fine. Otherwise, my ancestors would not have had reproductive success. The chance of a spontaneous mutation wrecking my genes is actually pretty small. What's wrecking our health is not genetic risk. It is the dietary lifestyle choices um, that we've made. Yeah. Terry, we both got to go eat and cook dinner here pretty soon, but I wanted to ask you a couple more questions. Uh, are you familiar with Pottinger's cats and the whole. Oh yes, I am. That's that's uh, very compelling stories. Yeah, I, I'll go. I'll go more into it. I'm sure on another episode about the whole long story about what he did. But uh, just for people that aren't familiar, basically, cats that were used for uh, removing their adrenal glands that were going to be used to help out tuberculosis pa um, patients. Long story short, the cats that were eating the uh, raw meat and the raw milk and things like that, the healthier foods, they recovered from uh, the adrenal removals very successfully while the cooked meat, cooked milk, just evaporated, sweetened, sugar-added milk, they barely made it. They barely survived. Their, their intestines were garbage by the time if they were able to reproduce. The offspring were, were garbage. So, you know, the idea that... Um, that I talk about, and of course that uh, I'm sure you and Nora talk about also, what generation of Pottinger's cats are you? So my, my question yeah. is for that, so say someone, you know, you say genetics are 5%. So if you're born and you just you say you have nutrient deficient parents, and then I'm nutrient deficient, so say your gut or your intestines don't form properly, so, are you screwed uh, there, there? There's a lot of evidence from Pottinger's cats at the fifth generation. Uh, the cats were sterile. Uh, in some rat studies where they're feeding rats GMOs in the fifth generation, those rats were sterile. So, if you think about in World War II, uh, we introduced all these chemicals, we radically changed our food supply between 1910 uh, and 1940. Uh, so what generation are we? So from uh, 1940, uh, we'll go uh, 20 years to 1960, that's one generation. 60 to 80, that's the second generation. Uh, I was born uh, in the uh, 55, so I'm uh, uh, second generation. My kids would be third generation. Uh, their kids would be fourth generation. And we hope uh, their grandchildren will still be healthy and uh, but I know I'm optimistic that they will because my kids, hopefully they'll remember this as they go out into the world, that food determines health. And so they won't be eating the sugar, white flour, and toxic laden food, that they'll be eating real food 
and, and their kids will be healthier than they were because their the nutritional quality is improving again. But for a, a lot of uh, the world, the nutritional quality is declining, uh, and uh, in five generations, you know that's 100, uh, 120 years. How fertile will we be as a species? Geez, so a hundred, uh, you know. Maybe a generation and a half away at this point, then, if we stay on the current track to being sterile. Well, uh, that's what Pottinger's cats would predict. That's what the rat GMO studies uh, would predict. Uh, what humans will prove, who, hard to know. We don't really uh, know. Um, but certainly, uh, there are a number of indices all over the globe that fertility rates are falling, sperm counts are falling. Uh, that uh, assistive reproductive technology uh, is needed in uh, much of the developed world and even now in the developing world. So there are indications that uh, there is some troubling signs for fertility, along with the population explosion and you know, dire predictions of, not, of 9 billion uh, people on the planet. So which, which future is correct, I, I don't know. Right. It's tough. Yeah. Well, so my question on that, though, you know, you started looking in, in some of the slides on the presentation about Pottinger's cats, you see the intestines that were barely formed. I mean, they started to look like mush and the organs were enlarged and just things like that. So say you are a third generation cat like I am. If you're born with crappy formation of organs and intestines i mean are you ultimately at a disadvantage your whole life or is real food going to be enough to help you use the plumbing system that you have enough to get through life and live a good well, long healthy life it will give you the best health possible and it will allow your offspring to be healthier than you will it return you will it correct uh your uh, uh organ structure Probably not, but will it improve how your cells do the chemistry of life? Absolutely. Okay, yeah, that's a good way to put it. I've always been curious about that. You're not going to regenerate everything. I mean, if it's a bad pipe, it's probably a bad pipe. But you probably can, a bad pipe. Yeah. But uh, a lot of your health is how you're running the chemistry. Some of your function in terms of how strong you are, some of the function is based on the gross shape and structure but most of your health is dependent on how your cells run the chemistry of life and that is more much more fluid uh, immediately based on the food you're eating or not eating right so at that point it makes it even more important for you to listen to some of these measures and follow some of these protocols that are listed in your book and check it out and and, and learn to apply these things to your yep. life eat vegetables a lot of greens a lot of sulfur a lot of color Yep. Like a sufficient meat. Yeah. Well, I like to give people a couple takeaways, and these don't have to be diet lifestyle related, but anything that you just feel like people need to hear to feel encouraged or to, to keep trucking on, uh, what would you like to leave people with? Well, um, eat more vegetables, eat, eat sufficient meat, and don't get seduced into having all of these paleo desserts. The real dessert is just a little bit of fruit every day. That's nature's dessert. Amen. Well, thank you. We'll send people back to your website, Dr. Terry Walls, 
Is it MD.com? Uh, no, it's Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, Walls, W-A-H-L-S.com. I invite people to uh, sign up for my newsletter. I have a great toxin disease chart uh, they'll want to pick up. Uh, and they should follow me on uh, Facebook, Terry Walls, MD. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for your time, and I look forward to seeing you in the real world uh, sometime soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. All right, I hope you enjoyed that episode. That was a a pretty deep one. I got lost and entranced while listening back to that. So I hope you enjoyed it. It was definitely a pleasure for me to bring this information to you and talk with Terry. And I'm glad to hear that everything plays a role in her practice as well and that diet is not the only answer and that everything does count. Everything does play a role. And, you know, that's the whole message here with not just paleo. So if you haven't checked out my website and if you're not on the newsletter yet, I urge you to get on there because if you visit the website now, notjustpaleo.com, you'll see a link for my upcoming wellness program and it redirects you to i'm.notjustpaleo.com. And so there'll be some fun shirts that I'm going to try to get printed here that say I'm not just paleo because that's the message. And I feel like it would be a good, good, just a good thing to do. I had shirts a couple years ago and uh, just kind of gave up on it after the health conference. But now I'm ready to get back into it. So anyway, this wellness program is taking literally every second of every day of my time. And I'm basically trying to distill over 100 podcasts into a program plus my own personal experience, plus some research, plus some knowledge, plus some common sense, plus some clinical trials, and just, I'm tying everything all together into one program. People responded to my email I sent out the other day asking for your advice. I appreciate you all so much. The response was huge, and you all all agree that you wanted option two that I gave, which was an overall wellness program, tying everything that I talk about in, all of my principles to a healthy, happy human, nature, and stress, lifestyle, diet. So many people have diet figured out, and they're still struggling, and it may not be enough, and it's often not enough for many people that do not have the other pieces of the puzzle figured out. So basically, I'm creating the puzzle for the human. So I hope you are as excited as I am for it and sign up for my newsletter at the website and you can stay updated with the release of this program. I'm expecting a release sometime in December. There's going to be some video production that I have to still work on, some audio recordings and things like that, but it's, it's going to be big. So I'll keep you updated. I'll talk to you next week and I hope to see reviews on iTunes if you would mind leaving one. Thank you. Bye.